Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras, episode number 133. And this is the first episode of a new format, one that I'm really excited about and one that I want to do more of because I just love coaching people. And so we're just going to call this format live coaching. because that's what it is. We're just live coaching people all over the place. So this episode features a Run Your First 50K alumni, Dana, and she had written to me with some questions about a few challenges that she was facing as part of her training for her upcoming 50K. And her questions were so good, and they're on a topic that is very common. This is like a very common obstacle question or challenge that people face. And so I said, let's put a pin in this. I don't want to just answer it via email because there, there is a little bit of nuance to this, as you'll hear when we get into the episode, let's do this on the podcast. So luckily she said, yes, I'm super excited that she did. So without further ado, here's my interview slash live coaching. (laughs) I say interview, but it's really not. It's a live coaching session with Dana all about her training for her upcoming 50K. So I thought it would just be fun to like, have you come on and ask the question because it's a common one that people ask. And I just think answering it, excuse me, in this format and like having a conversation about it will be helpful for people. So do you want me to read your question or do you want to read it? Do you want me to just paraphrase it? Do you have something different to add to it? No, no, I wouldn't say anything different. I think the only thing that I've, I think you can, in regards to the first thing, you can ask the question. That's fine. I think maybe it would be helpful for some people to hear some of the the, like the time, I think I put some times in there because I know for me, that was in the beginning. I'm like, what does this even look like if I've averaged X amount before, but now I'm supposed to slow down. The other thing I've, um, I just haven't been able to like, really the only consistent running I'm doing is when I've got tempo or Hills. And so my heart rate it just, it, I can't keep it where it needs to be even at an extremely slow jog. So let back up for a second. You said the only consistent running you can do, meaning when you're out running, you run for a long stretch of time. Yeah. So no, I mean, I think that you could go ahead and ask the question and then, you know, we can go from there. Why don't I just, why don't I just read your question, what you wrote into me, and then um, we can sort of break it down because you had two sort of distinct questions in there. And then. um, Yeah, that's right. Because tempo was one of them, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's, I'll just read it. Um, So when I do my zone two runs in my neighborhood, I'm not as fast as I originally thought still about 1730 to 1830 a mile, but obviously to be able to control my heart rate easier due to a more controlled environment, pavement, et cetera. So at least 75% of my run is in zone two. Great. So that's good context. I did a a 12 mile zone two run. I like how you put it in parentheses. I did did a run. I did a 12 mile zone two run on the trail yesterday, kept my heart, uh, heart rate just under zone two max of 133 with it, with about a 132 average. However, due to the nature of the terrain, I was much slower and averaged 2132 per mile 
uh, for a total of about four hours and 21 minutes on the trail. So the question you asked was, as my long runs are getting longer, I want and need to be on the trails, but I'm wondering if it's counterproductive being so slow. So this is such a good question. Do you have anything that you want to add to that or any context that you want to add to that? Not particularly right now. I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm just anticipating. I think my race is about eight weeks away and I'm like kind of mentally getting a little bit in my head about all of that and how can I make the cutoff if I'm not really running. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so I guess for like a little bit more context, talk to me about how you tackle the run. Let's just say the run starts out, you leave the parking lot and it's relatively flat. And then maybe there's some rollers and then you hit a couple big hills and then it sort of flattens back out to those rollers. And then you loop back around to the parking lot. How are you sort of attacking that terrain? So flat rollers, hills, yeah rollers, flats? So I do try to go a a lot based on my heart rate. So I've kind of given myself, um, I kind of figured out my max zone two is going to be at about 133. And so anytime my heart rate gets below about 125, I'll kind of start jogging until I hit about 128, 129. So still trying to account for, um, you know, the rise in heart rate and trying to keep it at that level. But basically it ends up that I'm doing a lot of fast or speed walking is what it comes down to, which generally keeps my heart rate right at about 128 to 131. And then um, with hills, it's just like, especially with steep inclines, it's lessening my, um, my speed really. So, so shorter, shorter steps, um, and not, you know, so I'll go from an average of maybe 17 and a half up to probably 2021 when I'm going up a steep hill, um, just to try to maintain the heart rate as much as I can, or if it goes 135, 140, whatever, to try to keep it there. So then I can bring it down once I hit an incline. Mm -hmm. And then how do you handle the downhills? Once again, I base it all on my heart rate. So if I'm still right at about 1.30, I won't jog. I'll just do a real fast walk down. And sometimes I can get upwards of like 16 and a half, 16 a mile, just because I've got gravity working for me. But it's rare, especially on a trail that I can break into any sort of a, a jog. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple thoughts here. First, a question. Have you tried to go out and do either that same trail or something similar where you don't really focus on your heart rate at all and you just run based on the terrain and how you feel like only really slowing down if the terrain dictates or if your heart rate gets to be too high that you can't sustain a comfortable breathing rate? Yes. Yeah. Because the week before was a 10 mile run and I'm like, I just want to run. <laughs> so, so, so what I, are the numbers for that? Um, I'd say I probably get more like heart rate numbers. I get more into the one fifties to mm-hmm. low one sixties. Okay. And then what was your pace? Just, I know you're, you're not looking at it right now, but do you have any frame of reference? I don't remember. Cause I, I'm sure it was, I can't. Gosh, that was like six weeks ago. 
Okay. So, so that would be my first suggestion would be to, uh, I don't know what you have planned for this weekend, but to do one of your runs, one of your longer runs this weekend or in a coming week where it's on the trail, but your, your sole focus is to just run how you feel and run based on the terrain. Right. Cause there's obviously, there might be some stuff that you just can't run through like, you know, super technical single track maybe, and you just don't feel comfortable doing that. So don't pay attention to heart rate and just run how you feel, run for the terrain, run for your breathing rate, and then circle back and have a look at that run as compared to this one, even if it's not the same mileage, just, you know, we're sort of comparing apples to oranges. But what I want to sort of demonstrate to you is that my sense is, especially since uh, we've talked about zone two training before. And I guess maybe even for some context, when you first started doing your zone two training, have you seen an improvement since the beginning in your pace and your speed? Um, I would say a little bit when I'm in the neighborhood. I think I'm finally starting to see those numbers come down um, a little bit, but because I am still so heart rate focused, I'm not, yeah, it's nothing consistent. It, you know, in terms of an actual run, um, it's still a lot of fast walking is what it's ending up being. But yes, I would say that there's been a little bit of change, but I haven't done anything. Honestly, I was thinking before this, I haven't done any sort of a, like a test run. You know, we've, we had talked about that before about just going out and running a, a certain loop and then doing it again for six weeks later. And I have not done that in, in a long time, actually. Hmm. So that would be, that would be one thing to also test out separate from this other thing that we're talking about, like going out on a trail and just running for the fun and for, you know, for the fun of it and just running based on your breathing. Like if you're, if you're sucking wind then slow down, right. Or if the terrain <laughs> dictates that you need to slow down, slow down. And then what I, what I think that you will find is that the work that you've been putting in with your zone two actually shows up in that context versus in the one that you're talking about, the one that you gave an example for. Because, you know, if you go back to a lot of what we talked about in the program, you're going to spend a lot of time in uh, focusing on this low and slow stuff, right? Low heart rate, slower running than you will do on race day. So just to sort of recap, the point of doing zone two is not to try to run your race in zone two. The point of zone two and the point of sort of mastering this low rate of perceived exertion is to build up your engine so that you've got deep reserves. You've got like a, you know, an extra gas tank, so to speak, to draw from on race day. And you haven't just, um, exhausted yourself during the training process by going hard and fast, thinking that that's going to actually improve your running is, and, and all you do is run hard and fast. Okay. So I had just finished reading Matt Fitzgerald wrote a book called 80, 20 running and which obviously a lot of that information, um, in terms of the, like the percentages is what we had discussed. And he obviously talks about a lot. It's not just the 80% low and the 20% high. There's obviously other factors in there. I think for me, the, the struggle I'm having is, you know, he's taking runners who are used to running six, seven minute miles and telling them, okay, now run a nine minute mile. <laughs> well, 
I'm running 12 and a half minute miles and now I'm down to like 16, 17, which is, you know, and so mentally. Which is part of the nuance of the trail, not to cut you off, but it's part of the nuance of the trail, right? As, as you get more reps under your belt, more miles, more runs under your belt on the trails, the more confident you'll be at navigating the trails. You won't be, and I'm, I'm just sort of, this is sort of like a blanket statement because I don't know specifically like how comfortable you are navigating rocks Mm -hmm. and roots and, you know, off, uh, off camber stuff. Like when you spend more time there, that's when you will start to be more comfortable. And as you, it's sort of like you work both sides of the problem, you know, this metaphorical problem where you're getting more comfortable with where you actually put your feet and you're getting more comfortable building up your cardio engine so that when those two things come together, that your pace actually gets faster. So that would be the goal. So I think that it's not a problem that, um, and sorry, it's not counterproductive. I wanted to use your, your specific words. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. It's it's also not a problem that you are slower than you think you should be. And it's also not counterproductive for you to be out there because every run is teaching you something about something, right? Everything is teaching you whether this was the right pair of socks, the right pair of shoes, the right pace for this specific element. So sort of going back to what we talked about initially learning to gauge different elements on the trail, like rolling, little rolling hills versus longer, steeper climbs and knowing which, uh, how to attack specific ones and which method walk, jog, you know, speed walk, um, sprint, whatever, knowing what method is going to be best for you to attack that specific thing in what specific context. So I think you're on the right track with looking to sort of merge these ideas of pacing yourself based on heart rate and choosing your speed, the method that you're going to use, walk, run, speed, walk, jog, whatever it is, based on your heart rate. Then it becomes a little bit of a, of a practice to ditch heart rate, and then teach yourself how to run those elements based on whether or not you're sucking wind, like going back to what we talked about before, right? Because you have to know that if you, that it will be more efficient for you to walk certain hills in certain contexts, especially if they're longer, steeper ones, versus running some of these or jogging some of these little rollers where you could, you know, get into maybe a, a, a routine or, or like a good rhythm with up and down, up and down, up and down. So that's also one of these sort of a little bit more nuanced skills that as you spend more time on the trail, you become a little less, uh, and I'm going to like, this is just the term I would use for everybody. Like you become a little less obsessed with, um, heart rate and pace, and you become a little more obsessed Mm. with efficiency of how you're going to attack each element. And by de facto, your heart rate gets better in certain contexts. And then your pace also improves as well, because you're making decisions based on the whole thing 
right? Like the course and the elements versus right now in this microsecond, my heart rate says this, right? When you're, when you're Mm -hmm. so dialed into that, it can be hard to see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture really is you have to learn how to run the whole run. Like if you set out and you know your run, your course from start to finish, like it's a place that you've been going multiple times, run the run and do it based on the elements that you encounter along the way and try to sort of divorce yourself from the paying attention to the numbers and the pace and see where that gets you. I, that, that is very helpful because I've been wanting to do that. I think I've just been feeling like if I do that, I know my heart rate's not going to be where it's supposed to be. Thus, I'm hurting myself. Mm-mm. You're not hurting yourself. Okay. Because it's, it's, um, it's part of the training. It's part of the bigger picture of the training. And we talk about heart rate and pace a lot as being the indicators of success for how you're doing. But I also think that there's a huge component of figuring out how you're doing, how successful you are in your training by doing some of these runs that we're talking about where you ditch the technology, so to mm-hmm. speak, still take it with you. Cause you want to, you want to be able to analyze the data afterward, but you know, cover your watch, put a piece of tape over it, whatever you have to mm-hmm. do that makes it unattractive for you to look at it every two seconds, turn off your notifications, whatever it might yeah. be, and just go run and have some freaking fun. And like, I, I guarantee you that if your pace isn't better on this first one, it will definitely get better okay. as you hone that skill of being able to run the trail versus run the watch. Yeah. Which is so encouraging (laughs) because I really do enjoy, and I like my footing and everything I feel is very confident on the trail. So that is not an issue. Um, I've been wanting to go out and run and just been feeling like I'm just not, I'm not being compliant, I guess, is the is where the thought process is coming. And I'm like, well, Megan told me I need to you need to work at this. And so I've been working at it. But And you're yeah. such a diligent student. <laughs> but I gotta say, when it takes six hours to do like 15 miles, I'm like, oh my gosh. Um yeah. so so it's time for you to morph over and do some of these runs. Yeah. Without paying attention to your watch. Okay. Which okay. I think let's, it sort of really rolls us right into your next question. So let's, cause I, I did some math that I think is really, I did some, you know, like ultra math that I think is going to be helpful for people. So let me read the question and then we can sort of talk about it. So the question is, uh, I'm finally getting into tempo runs And the first one I tried to keep my pace at 15 minutes per mile for the four miles and and was able to accomplish this. Do you think this is too slow for what I'm trying to accomplish for the 50K with a 10-hour cutoff? Um, I've always struggled with the tempo pace and what that means for me. So let's, let's, we did some math, okay? (laughs) And this is the math I think is going to be helpful for people. So your 10-hour cutoff, so 10 hours times 60 minutes means you have 600 minutes to finish this race. Okay. So 600 minutes divided by 32 miles averages out to be about 1875, 18.75. Okay. So that would be the average pace that you'd have to sustain 
without stopping, no bathroom breaks, no pit stops, no nothing. Like you just keep moving. You keep chugging along the whole time and you would finish. We it probably should be like 1870, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like you're going to finish right on time. So you're well ahead of that if you maintain your 15 minute miles, right? But 15 minute miles times 32 is 480 minutes. So you basically have 120 minutes of a buffer okay. to spare, which is like two hours, yeah. okay? Which is decent, but I would still like to see you have at least three. So just because I feel like, you know, over the course of a 50K, like you need to eat, you need to pee, you might need to change your socks, you might, you know, mm-hmm. you might have to go, I didn't look at your... um your course before we jumped on this, on this phone call. So I guess I'm going to, my next question to you is what's the course elevation look like? Uh, yeah, it starts at about 1700 and maxes out at about low six. So like 62 to 6,400. And then it drops a little bit the last couple of miles. So it's about a little total, a little over a 5,000 feet elevation gain. Okay. But then sort of, as we were talking about before, like what is it? Is it all straight climb? And then, um, so the, about the first 15 miles are kind of those rolling Hills, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I was very caught off guard because I did this race last year. Mm-hmm. Um, not so rolling, <laughs> but, yeah. um, and then the big elevation starts for me, I would say the worst part of it was miles 16 through 19. Okay. Um, but the major elevation changes the second half of the race. Okay. So you're doing a lot of climbing in the second half. Correct. There are some downhills, but you know, you're going, it's the whole, like, you know, take a step forward and take two steps back. So you take a little bit forward, but then you're just climbing again. Yeah. So knowing that, are you able to get there frequently? I, I am. I was planning on doing one of those race simulation days, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, starting mm-hmm. at the finish line and mm-hmm. backtracking since that's the more difficult part of the race. Mm-hmm. So that is my plan for one of my race sim days. Here's how I would do it. Here's how I would do it. I would do, <laughs> how long does it take you to get there? It kind of depends. The, uh, the finish line's a lot longer. It's like a 20 mile dirt road. Um, oh, okay. getting to the start line, it's not awful. Um, but both are doable. So, okay. So what I would do is I would, you're on your first day of, um, your race simulation. So I would actually do this race simulation sort of as a two day thing instead of the sort of like one day that we talk about. So maybe one of them is this option. And then the other one is a, is a straight shot as many miles as you can pack into one day type of a thing, which is how it's written on the plan, right? Um, so the first one, I would do the first half of the course on the first day, and then I would do the second half of the course on the second day. Okay. Like, not not like, not like 15 miles and 15 miles, but I would do like, you know, whatever, whatever the mileage is for that weekend, I would do the first day one yeah. as the first half of the course and then day two, the second half of the course. Yeah. I, Cause I think the first race sim is like a 21 on Saturday and 10 mm-hmm. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So just want to confirm you're saying do the easier part of the race on the longer mileage day. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Because how is that's going to line up with how you're going to face it on race day. Correct. Okay. Okay. And then, um, so that 10, so the 10, the 10 won't get me as far down starting from the finish line, but. So you could borrow some miles okay. from day one if necessary. Not, that's not a huge deal then. Yeah. Yeah. No. Because for this, right, for this objective, like you, you would still get whatever the total mileage is for the weekend, You'd right? Get You'd that still in. get it. Okay. But we're, if we borrow some miles from Saturday and give them to Sunday so that it gets you to a tougher spot, right, on the, on the course so that you have to do some work, that's what we really want. Okay. Because, we, yeah, we want to simulate first half of the day is going to feel like this. Second half of the day, this is going to be the hard part. And so we want to load it up, make it the second day, and actually load up the legs. Okay. I like that a lot. Um, I think that will be very helpful. I was not planning on doing the first half, but um, I I think that that's, that's a good compromise in terms of getting both parts of the race in. Well, the nice part is you've done this race before. So you, you said it before, like, you know, you were like, oh, it's just some rollers, but then they snuck up on me. So they're likely going to sneak up on you again. So you probably should go and have another look at them. And just, you know, in your mind when you're there, just be like, okay, how am I going to handle this? Like, what's going to be my plan, right? Because you're also wanting to look for, we're sort of morphing this into like race strategy, which, which I think is like a good idea, but like you're also should be looking for opportunities on that course to make up time. Okay. So I don't know where that's going to be because I'm not mm-hmm. looking at it right in front of me, but that's, that's your homework is to go and look at the course and you have some, you know, previous knowledge and history with this course. So maybe there's some place that wouldn't necessarily be identifiable if you were just looking at the elevation profile, but you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, after I come off of here, there's like this stretch, I don't know, right? That's like flat or downhill-ish, and I could make up some time there. And then the work will be to set the intention and then execute on it when it comes time, because you might not really want to, right? Like, especially if it's on off the back of some rollers and your legs might just be like all jiggly, mm-hmm. but you come to that spot and you're like, okay, this is my time to make up time. And even if it's just 30 seconds faster per mile, right? Or whatever it is, that's going to help you make up time and you're just going to add to that buffer because here's the like part of the ultra math that we didn't really talk about. It's great to set the intention for 15 minute miles. You're probably not, you're not going to hit that, right? Like, because there's going to be all that elevation, you're, you might have some 20, 25, 30 minute miles that you have to be thinking about maybe pushing your pace a little bit more at the beginning of the race on those rollers and finding those places where you could, you know, ratchet it up just a little bit, not to the point where you're redlining yourself, but, you know, having this idea in the back of your mind, like, okay, I need to front load my pace a little Mm -hmm. bit, right. And bank some time. Um, and this is sort of where to, to sort of like put it into context, um, this is, this is how I would do it. Like, this is how I would navigate all of my races, the short ones and the long runs. And this is how I would evaluate in the moment if I was doing too much work, mm. not enough work, or sort of in that sweet spot. 
right? Because I would go into the run having a plan or the knowledge about the total mileage, the total elevation change, the profile, and I'd be constantly sort of doing a systems check. Like, okay, is this too fast or could I go just a little bit faster? Mm. Or is this too slow? Um, should I slow, slow it down a little bit, right? And then I would evaluate that against how far I know I need to go when, you know, what my hydration is. So it's sort of Mm -hmm. always this like algorithm that's kind of running in the back of your mind. And I would, it sounds like a lot of work and it, it might be, especially if you haven't done this before, but I would much prefer to have my brain be engaged in doing this work versus, I don't know if I'm going to make the cutoff. I don't know if I'm going to make the cutoff. I don't know if I'm going to make the cutoff. Like the former is much more productive than the latter. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I didn't think uh, they only have one cutoff on this at this race and it's at the second aid station, which is about halfway. It's like 15, mile 15 and change. And before I ran last year, I was like, oh, that'll be fine. I'll be running through at about three, three and a half hours in instead of the four and a half, which is the cutoff. And I left there at about four hours and 15 to 20 minutes. So I was cutting it close, um, Hmm. way too close. So, Hmm. so you know that now I do. Yes. So, um, I, I do need to run a little bit of numbers there, um, and, and figure that out. But, um, that obviously is one of my goals is not to be so close to cut off. So, yeah. Yeah. So it would be interesting to go back and look at your data if you have it for that race. Yeah. Yes. And I'll need to do that. Yeah. Run some of those numbers and figure out. I also know that there were other factors that caused me to be much later than anticipated. Um, And based on the weather this year, I'm not quite sure that heat will be an issue. So um, we'll see what happens in the next couple months, but it's been pretty wet out here this year. So um, actually I'm thinking we'll probably have some bigger um, water crossings this year if, if the rain and snow continue. So. Um, Are you allowed to use poles? You are, but I don't have any. So I haven't. Yeah. (laughs) You might want to consider it. Okay. I've looked into poles and I think it's kind of like everything else, right? Where it's like, okay, you could get a $40 set or you could get a $300 set. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So, um, I haven't. And then, so, okay, I'll check it out. If you're going to do it, I mean, you, you hike a lot anyway, right? Yes. So do you not use poles when you hike either? Nope. Interesting. Yeah. Your, your life is about to just be like, <laughs> your mind is about to be blown. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if you think. If, if you're thinking a- about doing it, okay. then I would do it do- sooner rather than later yes. because you're going to need time to practice with them. Okay. Um, and um, I would say if you think that there's a chance that you will use them more than just on this one run, which I, I think you will, I would go for not the most expensive ones, but a more expensive pair that is like running specific. Um, okay. Be- because they are built for just this very thing versus hiking poles. Because um, it will also come down to, you're going to want these to be lighter than maybe other hiking poles because you're mm. going to be carrying them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
So, I mean, the ones that I have, I'm always recommending to people because I love them so very much. They are, they are an amazing tool. I have the, um, black diamond distance carbon Z and you will have to measure because they're fixed. They're a fixed height of a certain range. So you have to just do the little measuring um, tool that they have on their website. But I've taken those things through multiple hundred milers. They survived the entirety of Tahoe and I was not nice to them at any point. (laughs) (laughs) And I have used them on all of my long training runs and hiking and um, they're still kicking. They've got to be at least four or five years old and um, there's plenty of scratches and dings on them and they're they're all good. So I want to say they're maybe... Don't quote me on this. I'm because I'm just I'm just I think they're like 165, 175. Okay. I guess I could I guess I could look it up as we're talking about it, but um but I think they're worth it. Okay. Great. Yeah, I'll, I will look into it for sure. So, um and it was something I had considered. Uh, I just felt like, oh, it's kind of one more thing. I'm not going to lie. So. It is one more thing, but there, especially if you've got a race that has elevation like this, um, you know, it's a, if you're allowed to use them, it's a competitive mm-hmm. tool that you can use to your advantage and it will help you with the hike up. It will help you when your legs are wobbly on the latter half, on the way down. Like there's just, they can just be really helpful. Um, okay. But like I said, um, I would do it sooner rather than later. I just looked them up real quick. They're anywhere from, depends on where you get them from, uh, 140 to 190. But I, I'm not really clicking into them. I think they, it's, um, you know, there might be tiers in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, but okay, I think they're worth it. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> Well, I love. I'm not sponsored by them. I am not affiliated with them. <laughs> they are t- tried and tested. <laughs> I love your pack recommendation. So um, I've been able to, my gosh, I've put in sandwiches and gummy bears and pretzels and little packs of like Cheez-Its and animal crackers. And it all just goes in there and it has been the best thing ever. So it's like a clown car of ultra best. <laughs> It really is. I'm sure. And then, you know, I've been using it here in the neighborhood when I've got like an eight mile, whatever, you know, a Z2. And I'm like, okay, well, I've got to be, you know, make sure I'm hydrated. I'm sure the people in the neighborhood are like, wow, she's intense. (laughs) I wear it all the time. It's just so much easier. I would prefer to have my hand. So that's the other thing too. Like if you have a good pack and you have your hands free, your, your hands are freed up to use poles. Yes. Yep. So, okay, I'll check them out. Your first recommendation was stellar. So yeah. <laughs> we'll go, we'll go with streak. the second You are. We'll go with the second one. So, All right. So do you feel like you're in a good place now? You have your questions answered, like you know what you're, what you're doing going forward? Yeah, I think it was really helpful. I, as a personality, am a very black and white person. I'm like, well, I was told to do Z2, so I'm going to do Z2. Yeah. Um, so it is helpful. And I think that encourages me. I'm like, okay, I can actually get out and enjoy the trails a little more as well and have, have both. Yeah. You have to have fun. That's, that's one of the elements of this whole process is yes. like, there has to be fun. So if it gets to the point where it feels like, uh, you know, you're just, 
it's just not, I don't know how else to put it. Like it's just a dread, you're dreading runs. You're not having fun. Like you have to switch something up. And the easiest thing in this scenario is to just ditch the whole, like being so tied to zone two and just go out and run and have fun. And like I said, it's definitely going to show you where you're at in terms of pace and effort and all that jazz. And after you do that, I think you'll have a better sense for, um, what your pace might be on race day. And, um, you're, you're going to, you're just, you're simply going to be faster on race day. It's just a fact, right? You're just, you're running on a little bit of adrenaline and excitement. Mm -hmm. Um, and the flip side of that is we don't want to get too caught up in that. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, have it be this flashbang and you're done before you even reach the halfway point. That's where having that race strategy comes in, but you just really are going to be running on a little bit more of that motivation, excitement, the, you know, the race day feels and all of that stuff. So even if you have this, you know, lingering feeling in the back of your mind, like, oof, I don't know, it just might not be enough. Like, just know that that's going to kick in and you should just Mm -hmm. ride that hard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And it's encouraging too, because I still do have about eight weeks till race mm-hmm. day. And so I have about, I would say a six solid weeks of training before taper starts. Yep. So at least I can go out and practice, um, mm-hmm. based on off of this conversation. And just as a side note, I would start with those poles on a shorter run first. Don't make your first run be that race simulation with them. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Amazing. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, well, I hope that you guys enjoyed that conversation, that coaching session around pacing and zone two and poles. We we crammed a lot of good stuff in there. It might actually warrant you going back and listening to it again, because I think we touch on quite a few different things. And if you're just listening to it all in one sitting, you might miss some of the nuance. So go back, check it out, listen to it, take some notes. And then if you are interested in getting some coaching in the same way that Dana did, this is something that, like I said at the beginning, I want to do more of. And the way that you'll be able to access this is by joining the Run Your First 50K Facebook group. So just hop over to Facebook, go up into the top in the search bar, search run your first 50k you'll find us under groups request to join there's a couple questions that you're going to need to answer so that we know how to help you once you're inside the group and then at the top you're going to see once you're into the group you'll see a post pinned to the top of the page that's like a little survey form that you're going to fill out with your name and your email and your question all the things so that I can sort through them. And if we got many questions about the same thing, then obviously that's something we're going to want to talk about. And then you will go into the pool to be selected for that interview, for that coaching. All right. So again, if this is something that you're into, let me know, shoot me an email, tell me how much you enjoyed this, but then also go over, if you're not already a member of the Run Your First 50K Facebook group, request to join. P.S. It's ladies only over there because again, that's the mission, right? I actually thought about you guys. 
I know that uh, my mission has been to help 10,000 women. I'm kind of thinking like maybe that goal was a little bit too small. I'm thinking about adding a zero to that, making it 100,000. So like recruit your friends, bring them all over. We're having the most epic party over in that Facebook group. There's lots of coaching happening. There's lots of sharing. There's lots of gear suggestions. There's lots of support and encouragement. It's just like a massive ultra 50k fest over there. (laughs) And I'm not overselling it. It is like one of my favorite places to be. I'm there uh, daily. I do live coaching every week. I jump on, we give some tips and tricks and things to think about mindset stuff, like all of the good stuff happens over there. Okay. So make sure you join. I'll see you there. If you're interested in getting coaching, look for that post, fill out the survey, ask your questions. And I can't wait to hear back from you once you have completed your first 50k and then whatever you go on to next, right? Because I was talking to someone in the current coaching group, run your first 50 K and it's like this slippery slope. I mean, you've even heard like Alicia talk about it on the podcast during her interview about her first 50 K. She's already committed. Actually, this happened over in the Facebook group the other day. She mentioned it on the podcast that she was contemplating doing a 50 miler. And then all of a sudden the other day, this post pops up and it's like, boom, she's in, she's signed up. She is confirmed. She has picked her race. We are good to go people. (laughs) So can't wait to see more of that good stuff happening over there. If you want to get around more like-minded, ambitious, goal-driven, supportive, encouraging, like just amazing women, that's the place to be. All right, you guys, that's all for this episode. Enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon. 